Walmart Plus members save on meeting up with friends. Save on having them over for dinner with free delivery with no hidden fees or markups. That's groceries plus napkins plus that vegetable chopper to make things a bit easier. Plus, members save on gas to go meet them in their neck of the woods. Plus, when you're ready for the ultimate sign of friendship, start a show together with your included Paramount Plus subscription. Walmart Plus members save on this plus so much more. Start a 30-day free trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus, a central plan only. Separate registration required. See Walmart Plus terms and conditions. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader, like that car riding right your tail. Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on AutoTrader too. Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time? Well, multitasking pro, cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on AutoTrader. Just you wait. AutoTrader. To get the Crime Writers on After Show right now, go to patreon.com slash partners in crime media. I'm Rebecca Lavoy, and this is Crime Writers On, the original true crime review podcast that digs into true crime, pop culture, other podcasts. And this week, what if you had the same name as a terrorist who might not actually be a terrorist? We're listening to the Radiolab series, The Other Latif. Then we'll review HBO's quirky contest scam documentary series, McMillions. Join me to get that done and more is my real-life husband and true crime co-author, former TV journalist, and full-time caretaker, Kevin Flynn. Hello, Kevin. Who who are we fooling? It's only part-time caretaker. (laughs) Caregiver. How are you feeling? I have been... You you sound better than you did a couple of hours ago. Yes. When you thought this voice would be a better voice. I was like, Kevin, you might have to host. (laughs) Right now, I just sound sort of like a little bit raspy. Mm -hmm. Like two hours ago, I couldn't talk at all. I've been, as you know, Kevin, so sick this week. Do you like, have a sinus infection? Yes. Do you have an, a, an ear infection? Yes. Do you have bronchitis? I have all three of those things. Are you getting on an international flight? In like four days. Yeah. Yes. And a pressured tube for yes. Yes. hours and hours? Yes. Right. I'm doing all of those things. So I am medicating up. I'm recording this podcast. I sound a little bit like Ira Glass does in every other episode of This American Life. <laughs> you know, he's like always sick. Yeah. <laughs> Anyway, we will power through. Also with us is journalist, true crime author, former defense investigator, licensed private investigator, and certified cat lady, and our favorite non-boomer boomer, Lara Bricker. Hello, Lara. Good evening, Rebecca. Yeah, that's me. <laughs> you have all the things. Yep. Ladies who lunch, that's going to be me soon. You like the <laughs> cheap Chardonnay? <laughs> no, I like the expensive Chardonnay. You like Pete Buttigieg? You like I do. Kevin Costner? <laughs> yeah. I mean, what's next? What's next, Rebecca? Am I going to be going to the Publix in Florida with all the other people and like yelling at the cheese counter? I mean, going to be next? driving a Lincoln? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Jimmy Buffett. Listen, for yeah. <laughs> Well, that's already yeah. there, too. Oh, my God, Toby. You're Yacht right. Rock. I love Yacht Rock. Oh, my God. They had a special on CBS Sunday morning this week about air supply. And I was mm-hmm. like, I love it. That's on Yacht Rock. Laura, yeah. <laughs> we know we have a lot of Boomer listeners and we love Boomers and we love you, too. You just are one now, even though you're the youngest of four of us, of the four of us. Okay. It's fine. 
We're just okay. accepting it. You probably have like more, it's probably like more like IRAs than the rest of us do. I mean, you probably have all the accoutrements of boomers. I don't, though. I a way better don't. retirement plan. Yeah. A pension. Well, that's Fireman Ken. A He's shawl. He's my retirement plan, yeah. <laughs> a shawl. I have a weighted blanket right now that I have on. Oh, is it awesome? It's so relaxing. I love it. I asked for one for Christmas and they wouldn't get it to me. <laughs> really? They were afraid he would never leave the house. <laughs> it's the best. It's like so su- Like I put it on and it, like as soon as I put it on, I start falling asleep. So hopefully mm. I stay awake for this podcast. <laughs> Finally with us is our captain of woke cynicism, the author behind the noir novels known as City Trilogy and our Patreon book club host, Toby Ball. Hello, Toby. Hello, Rebecca. Well, we've got some couple of items that we need to get out of the way for the chat and promotions portion of the show. Uh, first of all, Kevin, we have a very special Crime Writers On episode coming up next week. Do you want to go ahead and plug that? Yes. It is going to be our 200th episode celebration. <gasps> really? Yes. A bonanza? Bonanza retrospective, looking back at so many highlights that we have had over the past 199 episodes or thereabouts. <laughs> yeah, it's been years. Got some good clips, uh, some fun times, some classic moments, and uh, we'll hear from uh, some of our listeners about what this dumb podcast has meant to their lives. Aww. Will Stupid Debra making a cameo? Stupid Debra will be there. <laughs> Littlefoot the killer. <laughs> oh, Littlefoot. <laughs> The origins of rage walking. Uh huh. Uh huh. Items from Toby's Amazon list. Nice. It's uh, gonna be. Yeah. It's, it's a good walk down memory lane. So many memories. And there's gonna be special episode art. Oh goody. So it'll be hopefully on a catcher or pod platform device that the 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 art updates with each uh, episode. Well, maybe we could like make that our Twitter and Facebook page banner. What do you think? Yeah, I'm going to use it everywhere. Okay. It's yeah, going to be everywhere. It's so awesome. It really is. Just just see you'll see it on the socials and hopefully there'll be a full explainer. I've got footnotes for all of that. Yeah. <gasps> like like one of those like candy boxes that gives like a mm-hmm. like an index. Mm-hmm. Say no more. Say no so more. You don't get the bad you don't get the bad chocolate. <laughs> the one full it. of orange cream. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so we're looking forward to it. For real though, like when you give somebody a box of chocolates for Valentine's Day or whatever, why would you <laughs> Siri just like I found this on the web for for Valentine's Day or whatever <laughs> for whatever <laughs> shut up Siri but seriously when you give somebody one of those cheap boxes of uh, Valentine's chocolates which you know I'm a sucker for like the cheap like heart shaped thing mm-hmm. if you're getting one that has an orange cream one just get a different box <laughs> tip Screw for that. next year Spring for the caramels. Exactly. Uh, Kevin, you have one other thing that you want to ask. Uh, We are going to be in London this week, are we not? If you're listening to the, yes, (laughs) when this drops, we will actually already be in London. So we are looking to have a nice casual meetup. Casual. With our uh, London. Not fancy. Not fancy. (laughs) With our London-based listeners. We're looking to get together on Friday, February 28th. Mm. That's 2020, in case you're listening to an episode. Right. Long, long ago. Or so way, way in the check future. out our social media to figure out what's check going on. Check Twitter. Yeah. We got a lot of people say they want to do this. Or our so Facebook group. Check the social medias. Yeah. We'll, be, we'll put it everywhere. We hope to see you. 
All right. And finally, on today's Patreon after show, which you can get right now at patreon.com slash partners in crime media. I just want to do a little pre-vacation roundup and find out what non-true crime things my fellow podcasters are listening to, watching, reading right now. So we're going to talk about that on today's Patreon after show. It'll be like a little media club for Mm. you, non-true crime media club. So check that out at patreon.com slash partners in crime media. You guys ready to record a podcast right now? Let's do it. I'm ready. Yes. Let's get it done. So I just want to interrupt the regular flow of the review right now and just say to you guys, you know how like every time you listen to Radio Lab, they have those like sonic things at the beginning that say like, WNYC? Check, check. What, what? This is Radio Lab, right? They had that whole thing. Yeah, we have one now too. Uh, wait, you're listening. <laughs> okay. All right. Okay. All right. <coughs> you're listening. listening. Crime Writers on. Crime Writers on. Partners in Crime Media. All right, now let's just go on and record the podcast, shall we? <laughs> yeah, let's do that. All right. There's a website called howmanyofme.com. At the top of the page, it says there are 329,470,115 people in the United States. How many have your name? Radiolab reporter Latif Nasser knew his name was rare. So imagine his surprise when he learned that someone else with his same name was being held as an enemy combatant. And this is the story of a, that guy, the other Latif Nasser. The one that the census does not count. The one that if you write him a letter, and I have many times, it'll just come right back return to sender. The one that doesn't have a passport, a driver's license, a social security number, or a phone number for that matter. I've come to think of him as a black hole in a black hole. And that's because the other Latif Nasser is detainee 244 at Guantanamo Bay. In the Radio Lab miniseries, The Other Latif, Nasser explores the case against Moroccan native Abdul Latif Nasser, held for years at Guantanamo, accused of being a top military advisor to Osama bin Laden. The prisoner has maintained his innocence, and this reporter seeks to learn whether his namesake is as dangerous as the United States says he is. According to the government, he was a top explosives expert for al-Qaeda. He helped blow up the famous Bamiyan Buddha statues. 2,000-year-old stone Buddhas carved into cliffs. Cultural wonders of the world. He was directly associated with Osama bin Laden before and after 9-11. Quote, one of the most important military advisors to Osama bin Laden. An ambitious project, Nasser travels the world to retrace the other Latif's life journey. Was he al-Qaeda's top explosives expert, or was he a bookish suburban Muslim in the wrong place at the wrong time? Spoiler alert, we're going to be talking about plot points for the first three episodes of The Other Latif from Radiolab. So to stay spoiler-free, just go to the estimated time code in our show notes for our thumbs-up or thumbs-down review. Okay, so Kevin... Mm-hmm. Radio Lab is a known quantity to anybody who listens to public radio or podcasts. I don't sure. know if all of our listeners are Radio Lab fans, but it does have a particular production style, which is a very, very. Well, a lot of us listen to the Dolly Parton. Right. Dolly Parton's America. Chad Abunrod. Yes. Who is the host of that? He is the host of Radio Lab. But Radio Lab actually invented 
a few things that are now norms in audio and podcasting. Right. One of them is the reporter debrief in the studio where I talk to you about a thing I learned and you go, oh, really? What? Tell me more. <laughs> and that they literally invented that. Another one is lots of sound effects, um, stereophonic sound effects in terms yeah. of like telling a story. I actually think the other Latif actually dials a lot of that back. What do you think of the style and production of this series? Well, I do find that it is... Uh it, it does have some of that Radiolab DNA, where they do the quick-cut, echo-lead type of thing. The lawyer called me back. Okay, now talk. Okay, can you hear me? Oh, man, fine. This is great. Hey, I feel like we do... Yeah. Hang on one sec. And my producer, Susie Lechtenberg, set us up in the studio. Shelby's having a hard time hearing you. Sorry. Oh, okay. Sorry. La, 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 la. Any better? La, 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 Oh, that's loud. Good. Better, 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 better. Better? That is better. Is this better? She'd actually just been chatting with Abdul Latif himself that morning. I was like, dude, I gotta get off the phone. I'm going to this interview about you. So like that, but they don't do too, too much of that like they do in Radiolab. But, you know, the whole idea, the way he delivers, and this is where Latif, the way he delivers it, and probably the, you know, peeling back the curtain is probably not him working from a script, but maybe he's got his, his thoughts, his bullet points, and he's actually answering questions from a producer. The producer's cut out, so you just hear him. But if you think about the way he is presenting his findings and say, um, compare it to what we've heard recently, like from Chasing Cosby or the CBC ones, you see this is a much more animated, more energetic delivery, and you're much more in the place of the host rather than sort of getting a debriefing off of a page. Now, Toby, I know you also have thoughts about the production style of this podcast, and they are not necessarily positive. Can you just talk about that? Yeah, so I, I think Kevin described a lot of the stuff, but I guess Kevin kind of likes it, and I kind of don't. I actually find it all very distracting, uh, especially the quick-cutting stuff. I don't get what it adds, and it's it's not to my taste. And then I also, I think uh, Ladif, it, it just seems like he's performing like a fair amount, which again, I guess there's nothing totally wrong with it. It's just not to my taste. So I kind of thought that even when, you know, there he was telling a good story and I thought this stuff was interesting, I kind of felt like it was despite the way that the podcast was edited and the way he was narrating and, and that kind of stuff. I, I don't know. I, it, to me, it, it detracted rather than added. I'll just say that I don't like a lot of that, Toby. I, I do like it in, in little bits. It's like a chili pepper. A little bit goes a long way, mm. but too much ruins the whole thing. Yeah. So, yeah, I do like some of it, but... I don't like it when it's overdone because I agree it's distracting and it slows things down. I will tell you that I used to love Radiolab. I'm a huge Jad and Robin Rod fan. I believe he should be allowed to make whatever he wants to make. But I do believe that Radiolab has become a parody of itself in its modern form. Mm -hmm. I like this series, though, because it dials back a lot of that. I mean, that's my impression. But I know that I'm coming from a place where I've listened to a ton of Radiolab. So to me, I listen to this and I'm like, oh, this is pared down. But I also realize that if you're not coming to it from that, it doesn't sound pared down. I just one last point on this. We move on to like different parts of like the story, like the story. <laughs> there was one day where the Daily did a piece and there was a producer and she cut the interview just like a Radiolab thing back and forth back and forth, little things, saying the same thing over again. And I'm like, whoa. This is WNYC producer who came to work at The Daily. Probably. And I'm like, 
<laughs> this really just doesn't work right. anywhere else. And to have it go on for five minutes like that is just exhausting. Right. All right. Now, Lara, one other small criticism that I think we share is that the springboard into the story, uh, Latif Nasser is telling the story because he found a guy with other name. Now, he says he just saw a tweet. I am guessing, however, that he is the kind of person who has a uh, search set up so that he knows when there's a tweet that includes his name and that it wasn't coincidence. What do you think? Yeah, I agree. Um, like, I, I have the Google alerts set on my own name. <laughs> you never said it was a coincidence. Prime writers on. I do. As well as Toby, because I want to know what he's up to. Me too. <laughs> I have Google alerts for all you guys, by the way. All of you. Oh. So, uh, but I guess my thing was like, I'm like, this is an interesting story. I'm learning a lot about Osama bin Laden that I didn't know about. I'm Same. learning a lot mm. about Guantanamo that I didn't know about and that I did know about, but that's being sort of retold to me in a way that's making me crazy angry. But I was like, so why do we need to do this very clever thing with the guy having the same name to tell the story of one prisoner in Guantanamo? I I guess that's the part I don't, maybe it's all going to come together in the end, but um, so far for me, I felt like that was a little bit forced. But I will say it does give him an in with a lot of his subjects. The lawyer says she only responded to his email for that reason. Yeah. When he goes into um, Abdul Latif Nasser's house, his relatives all embrace him yeah. because he has the same name. So it does it does give him an inroad once he's in the story. But Laura, I want to ask you about something else because I think that like there's nobody who lives in the United States who would say. That, you know, for instance, um, Osama bin Laden is a good guy. However, I do think that a lot of listeners of this show, people who are interested in true crime and criminal justice, have a lot of deep uh, held feelings about fairness in the criminal justice system. And I do think that anyone who claims to care about criminal justice and doesn't care about what's happening in Guantanamo and the detainees there is nuts. What do you think when you hear about people held ad infinitum with no due process, no trials, sometimes no representation, no opportunity to even debunk some sort of government narratives about their part in larger plots? When you hear about that, does that trigger your sense of justice? Oh, yeah, it it absolutely did. I think that was the first episode. And I was walking around listening to that, I think, on uh, Monday. Maybe no, maybe last Friday. I don't know. Wherever I was, I was walking and I was listening and I was like, oh, I was like, like, what is this? 15 years? They said 15 years with no trial, nothing. And then finally gets a lawyer. The lawyer goes down there and they determine, you know, at that later hearing that this this gentleman in particular isn't deemed to be a future threat. And he's, you know, going to be released. And then that doesn't happen. But I think just the concept of like, what are like democracy is founded on in terms of, you know, right to a fair trial and right to representation, you know, and and to defend yourself. And it's, you know, it was scary. I remember September 11th, it was it was a very scary time. But at the same time, at some point, like, when did people step in and say, this is really a human rights and a justice issue that, like, this isn't okay. And listening to this story in particular, I think really highlighted that in such a way that I was just like, regardless of your feelings about terrorism and attacks and who's there and what they did or didn't do, 
the fact that, I mean, not just like a year, but years, decades, like over a decade later, people are still sitting there is ridiculous to me when you hear this story in particular um, that really kind of brings you inside that that world. Toby, one of the things that I found really interesting was... Abdul Latif Nasser's lawyer, who is interested and has a stake in going on the record to talk to Latif Nasser about her client. Like she's obviously been advocating for him. She represented him in the hearing. He was actually cleared to leave the country, as the podcast tells us. And then, you know, basically because of a change in administration, like nothing happens. And now he's still there. But she's also playing this very interesting, I don't want to call it a game, but it feels as a listener like a rhetorical game. He'll ask her a question. I think you told me that he worked at a sunflower farm. He was like, you know, like a, not farming per se, but like in a like management-y type mm-hmm. position. Um, was that Osama bin Laden's farm? And she'll say. So there's a distinction between information, information that I no information I don't know and information that is either classified or declassified that the client has told me. So I I think I can't answer that question at all, annoyingly. I'm sorry. Okay. Toby, what do you think of those parts of the story where the lawyer is in such a bind and then by extension puts Latif in a bind and then by further extension kind of puts us in a bind about actually learning anything about what's actually going on here? So I guess there's two things. I mean, one of them is I I think she pretty clearly has to, you know, really toe the line if she wants to continue to have access to her clients. I think, you know, spilling uh, classified information on a podcast is is probably going to, like, revoke her privileges uh, if that's what she does. But I think it's also, you know, again, it, it, it's sort of a little bit what Laura was talking about, is that it's another way of controlling the narrative of what's going on there is, especially for this guy who probably doesn't really have anything. I mean, or what he has is, is I, we haven't gone through the whole thing, but, uh, you know, so far, you know, his insight into Bin Laden probably has more to do with, with sunflower growing than anything else. So it's what exactly are you not able to talk about? So again, I, I think it's just a way for the, the government to control the narrative, make sure that things are sort of portrayed they, the way they want them to as much as, as they can control it. Uh, and I think, you know, there are decisions that were made right after, you know, September 11th. I can't remember how quickly Guantanamo was opened, but, you know, it was basically open so that you could bypass due process in the U.S., and it's now we're we're stuck with it. And, you know, I think a lot of people thought that Barack Obama might do something about it. And uh, the fact that he didn't, I think, shows that there's no like very easy solutions to what to do with people who are there. And I think in this in this climate, I would not think that if I was a lawyer for one of those people, I would I'd be very optimistic about getting them freed. I also think that He's not out of legal jeopardy just because he's been, quote, cleared. Right. He's still there. And he's not, it's not like he's sitting around in county lockup. He's at Guantanamo Bay, held without trial, and, you know, cleared because I guess he was polite enough to that tribunal. And, and he, maybe and we, admitted and we, things, and we right? Don't, right. And we don't actually know why. Exactly. And so I think that the attorney, she is being very cautious because she could say something that a future tribunal 
or a future administration or maybe somebody in this administration who wants to look at this again might misinterpret or use against them and you know to say well i can't say whether he worked on osama bin laden's sunflower farm when it seems very obvious that he did yes which in and of itself may not be incriminating right may not be evidence of terrorism or anything like that but i guess she and her desire to be cautious ends up saying you know with withholding that because she doesn't want that to get to the next thing and somehow reverse course for her client. Well, what's interesting, Toby, is that because this is Radiolab and they are very uh, sort of prestigious journalism outlet, they do have access to incredible sources. And the talking heads they have in this podcast are amazing and don't always agree with one another. So, for instance, we hear, you know, Abdul Latif Nasser did work on a farm owned by Osama bin Laden. He was in charge of the sunflower growing operation there. And we have, you know, a scholarly expert saying that doesn't mean anything. And, you know, he doesn't necessarily know what other else might be going on at that farm. And then we have a government person saying, oh, he definitely would know there were terrorists continuing their ongoing trend. There's no way he wouldn't have. And the two just don't reconcile. And to me, that is like it's a hallmark of quality sources when you get people high enough up the food chain that they don't agree. And the reporter finds himself in a bind. That's like a little bit showing us the journalism. Right, Toby? Yeah, absolutely. To me, the most interesting thing that comes out of this podcast is how it's complicated. You know, it's not straightforward and it's not as easy as saying he's completely guiltless or he's an imminent threat. It's hard to get a handle on it. And even the things that you do know, it's hard to necessarily have a consensus about what those things actually mean. The idea that he had a farm that was the size of South Carolina is pretty startling. So yeah, I mean, I think that 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 to me is the strength of this. I, I thought I thought the beginning was pretty slow. I don't think the way the time has been apportioned on different subjects has been really great. But I think when he does start talking to his sources and taking a look at these complicated or nuanced questions, uh, I think that's when the podcast is really strong. Now, Laura, I happen to know from Toby's notes. That he doesn't have uh, super positive feelings about the part of the podcast where Latif Nasser makes a trip to Morocco and visits uh, Abdul Latif Nasser's family. What did you think of that part of the podcast? I found it incredibly um, human. And there were a lot of things there that I really enjoyed, even though I do with Toby kind of agree. I got a little bit indulgent. But what did you think about meeting this family and then hearing them tell the story of their son, their brother, with that the complications that that brings? You know, at first, it's, it's sort of conflicting to me because at first I was listening to it and it's extremely sad because I feel like they're a bit in this vacuum where they're not getting accurate information. They don't really know what's going on with their relative. And it's been so long that they don't. And, and you're listening to stories of when he was you know, the smartest one in the family in the neighborhood and, um, you know, things that he was doing. But as I'm listening, then I'm starting to think to myself, you know, they're telling us what we want, you know, what they want us to hear, uh, obviously, because I'm sure they're not totally trusting, you know, uh, in terms of revealing information. And I'm starting to wonder what we're actually really going to find out about his life as this goes forward. Because I feel like, 
a little bit the way this story is being told. Like we're getting sucked in, like me, I'm getting sucked in with the family and I'm like, God, this is so sad. And then I'm like, yeah, but now we're going to get a reversal. I think there's more going on here. You know, going back to the way that the attorney was releasing information and and even as the story continued, it started to get a little bit more, to me, like, suspect. I'm like, he's growing sunflowers, huh? Hmm. Like, you know. like Apparently, he wanted to grow the largest sunflowers in the world. Yeah. I, I don't know. I That was the most bizarre detail of this whole entire podcast so far. But we did learn a hell of a lot about Osama bin Laden, did we not? Yes. In episode three of this. I got to tell you, I learned more about Osama bin Laden and his sort of life and rise to power in episode three of this podcast. I know there's been a ton of reporting. I'm not saying there hasn't been. But the concise narrative with which I learned about Osama bin Laden in episode three of this podcast, I found that incredibly illuminating. What about you? Yeah, no, I did. It was it was definitely, um, I, like I said, I learned a, a lot about Osama bin Laden. I learned a lot about Guantanamo. And I learned, you know, just how that whole process was moving forward at Guantanamo in a way that was, you know, putting a human face on it, which, uh, you know, helped deepen the understanding. But I think the the visit with the family and listening to the uh, the original Lottis, uh rise from like being the smartest one in the family to then being linked to Osama bin Laden was really interesting. Hmm. Um, but really interesting, like, I, I guess, like... I don't know why I, I like hearing about uh, when Osama bin Laden's father died and all of his in a plane like, crash, which like, hello, like that was something, mm. right? Yeah. And and how the how many how many siblings were there? Was it like 19? Yeah, it was a lot of siblings, 17 or something like that. Yeah. Um, And, and they, they inherited this huge quantity of money and what they did with the money. So that that was really interesting. Kevin, what do you think about the international trip this podcast takes us on? I thought it was really enlightening. I, I did enjoy him connecting with these other people who, you know, just like in any other social justice or criminal justice case that we've explored, when you have someone that you feel is wrongly imprisoned and then you meet the other people who are hurt by that, you know, it, it certainly uh, it, it humanizes the story. Looking at me, she said and, and, and actually would later say again and again, she felt like she'd gone back in time. Uh, you took them back 20 years into the past. It's like you are a, a younger Nasser Abdullah. And out of nowhere, she grabbed my arm, switched into English and said, call me sister. Call me sister. You are like my brother. You are my brother. My brother who was still to come. She said that you are like her brother who are waiting for to come. And I mean, we don't know in the end whether or not Abdul Latif Nasser is actually a good guy or we're going to find out something that he isn't a good guy. Regardless, yeah, you know, his, his family there is in pain because they think that, you know, that he doesn't deserve to be imprisoned and that they too, I'm sure, were looking forward to seeing him and they can't understand why. So uh, as as Latif Nasser could sort of feel their loss, I think that a lot of the listeners did too. All right. Well, I think we should do what we do. I mean, this is a series from Radiolab. It's a podcast within a podcast. 
We are a podcast about other podcasts. So this is a podcast about a podcast within another podcast. Mm, podcastception. <laughs> Let's do what we do and let our listeners know, should they check out the series, The Other Latif from Radiolab? Laura Bricker, I'm going to start with you. Thumbs up or thumbs down for this series within a podcast. Yeah, I would say absolutely listen to it. So how many are there going to be? Five in total? I think it's six, Laura. There's more than the ones we've listened to coming down yeah. the pike. <laughs> and, you know, I think it's a really interesting story. There, yeah, there's some things I, that I was like, oh, I wish they'd done this differently. But overall, it uh, was very enlightening. And I would I would recommend listening to it. Toybo, what about you? Thumbs up or thumbs down for the other Latif from Radiolab? So I'm glad we listened to three episodes because I thought the third episode was by far the strongest it's got the lamest car chase ever in a podcast, I thought, <laughs> uh, in episode two. I'm a thumbs up. I, I, It's just super slow at the beginning. And again, I, I just think it spends a little bit too much time on certain things. And there's too much sort of he's trying to draw parallels between himself and Abdul Latif, which I guess there are a couple times when they, they seem to make sense, but then other times uh, less so. And uh, this is a long way of saying, if you can get through the first two, I think the third one's good. I hope the rest of it's good. I'll, I'll definitely you know, check out the fourth episode to see if it continues its momentum. What about you, Kevin? I'm going to go thumbs up. The Kafka-esque nature of everything associated with Guantanamo Bay is something that I think we've, we've all been accustomed to. But to be cleared and supposed to be released and not released because bureaucratic errors and then political misconceptions, I think is uh, makes for a very troubling setup for this story. I, I want to know where it's going. I, I keep thinking that if, you know, we're talking about like that back and forth, talking about the farm where you have the academic and the CIA officer. One is like, he definitely had to know what was going on there. The other one was, well, how would she know? I think if Madeline Barron were doing this, the way it would be set up is we would sort of be taken along to explain why the government is wrong right. all the way through. The fact that he's not just playing both sides against each other, he's certainly leaving it for suspense, and not false suspense, but true suspense, about what he's going to find out about this guy. It's not clear-cut, or at least there is no solid evidence that is uh, exculpatory or that uh, is damning. So I think that's an interesting way of telling the story. I'll, st I'll stick with it. I'm a thumbs up. Yeah, I'm going to actually really hard agree with you, Kevin. It's an interesting way to tell the story. Although I have to say, you know, knowing this reporting team as well as I do, having listened to their reporting as long as I have, working in public radio, sort of having my roots there, I do feel like it rings a little bit false to do this well, I thought that, but then I thought this, but then I thought that, but then I thought this sort of journey thing with a story like this, it's mm -hmm. not S-Town. This is a story that is a little bit more concrete. It's about a person who's still alive. There are things that are known. There are things that are unknown. And I believe that this team has actually reached some conclusions that they'll get to to sort of, sort of string us along that way. It's the kind of thing that was novel 10 years ago, but that feels a little bit aged now. That being said, I really like this podcast. I like Latif Nasser as a reporter a lot. I'm really intrigued by the story. The one thing that I wish it had was a little bit of a deeper dive into Guantanamo and the structures there and the torture and the way things work there. Maybe it'll go there. 
when I first heard about this podcast, that's what I thought it was going to be. And I was like very excited to hear that story told in this way. But for the most part, I will listen to episodes four, five and six. I will finish the series. I'm intrigued to see where it goes. So for me, it's definitely a thumbs up. I'm what you might call very good at hide and seek. And since we got Xfinity, we have Wi-Fi all over the house, even in my super secret hiding spots. So I can kill time in here by streaming my favorite- Ha! Found ya. How? You left to find my tablet on. Get wall-to-wall Wi-Fi on the Xfinity 10G network. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Walmart Plus members save on meeting up with friends. Save on having them over for dinner with free delivery with no hidden fees or markups. That's groceries plus napkins plus that vegetable chopper to make things a bit easier. Plus, members save on gas to go meet them in their neck of the woods. Plus, when you're ready for the ultimate sign of friendship, start a show together with your included Paramount Plus subscription. Walmart Plus members save on this plus so much more. Start a 30-day free trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus, a central plan only. Separate registration required. See Walmart Plus terms and conditions. One, two... Three, four. Those are numbers. But you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. AutoTrader. Moving on. I have a story for you. This story has got everything. Revenge. Drugs. Greed. Ronald McDonald. It's the biggest fraud case you may never have heard about in HBO's McMillions. A bored FBI agent stumbles onto a tip that the fast food giant's million-dollar monopoly game is fixed. The McDonald's monopoly game was fixed. The Bureau thought it was just some BS story. Fast food fraud was not making any list of priorities. Are you kidding me? This is what makes my fun meter go. Investigators learned that for years, winners of the Peel and Win ticket game were related to or associates of someone called Uncle Jerry. The FBI teams up with McDonald's to root out how their highly secured game pieces are being compromised and who is behind the scam. The FBI told us the game pieces are being stolen. McDonald's was shocked. Conversations on the wiretap were coming in. I'm hearing the name Uncle Jerry thrown around on the phone. We started focusing more on trying to figure out who he was. He's a freaking gangster. Uncle Jerry was getting the tickets and selling them to other people. This is a million-dollar winning ticket, and he's got it in a Ziploc sandwich bag that's not even zipped. McMillions is both lighthearted and thoroughly researched, presenting not just the nuts and bolts of the investigation, but presenting those who benefited from the scheme and those who were hurt by it. We are going to be talking about plot points from McMillions through episode three. So to remain spoiler free, go to our thumbs up or thumbs down review at the estimated time code listed in our show notes. Lara Bricker. Yes. Is this a story about the investigation of a massive fraud Or is this an opportunity to introduce an audience to characters that are completely unbelievable and an investigation that is also completely unbelievable? What is your thoughts, Laura Bricker? That's a good question. I hadn't thought of it. Uh, Perhaps both, because some of these characters are just so far out there, like starting with the cop who like starts this whole thing um, right down to the- special agent. He's not a cop. (laughs) Whatever he is. Come on, Laura, be a fucking expert, huh? Special Agent Doug Matthews. Let's take a listen to him right here. The Jacksonville Division, if you talk to Agent Pellicciotti, is a small division that didn't do a lot of this. 
this is basically like your one shot to go undercover. Right, so I gotta do all the fun and not have to go through all the bullshit. Yeah, just make it happen. That's what it was. Hey, Matthews, just make it happen. I'm thinking to myself, one, my God, really? And then two is sweet. Yeah, so from him, you know, who's like just too funny for his own good, to the wife of the mobster in her all red attire, red nails, red lamp, red table, red sofa, um, to the strip club, like an episode of The Sopranos. What was the strip club called? The um, Fuzzy Bunny. (laughs) The Fuzzy (laughs) Bunny. I mean... That was the thing. There was just all these, and I'm like, who are these people? And uh, yeah, so, but but the scam itself, you know, is is made even more unbelievable because of the cast of characters that carried this whole thing out. Now, Kevin, this is jumping way ahead, Mm -hmm. but when you were a television reporter, did you ever do a stand up from inside (laughs) of an adult club? Yes Yes. or no? (laughs) No, but I, I did. Want to do a stand-up from inside the, one of the bikini contests at Bike Week? Yeah, uh, that was a clip. But I want a round of applause to Gurnal Scott for doing <laughs> for being the fuzzy bunny beat reporter, the hero. doing a live shot right the in the hero middle. We didn't know we needed. God damn it! It, it was a church, Kevin. It wasn't a strip club. It was a church. Yeah, <laughs> that's the best eleven o'clock live shot I've ever seen. Well, let's go back to one of our main protagonists, Doug Matthews, Special Agent Doug Matthews, who apparently. Apparently, still works for the FBI, uh, wears a gold suit to debriefings, is all about the punchline, definitely an entertaining character for a documentary like this. But Toby, what do you think about him as your neighborhood law enforcement officer, FBI agent in the fraud investigation unit in the Jacksonville station of the FBI? He's like he's definitely in it, or at least he's putting himself out there as being in it for his own kind of amusement, which I'm not sure is like the greatest approach for a cop or special agent, I should say. Sorry, Kevin. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I mean, I think he's, he's awesome for the documentary because he's amusing and, he, you know, not that it needed more color, but he certainly offers it. I said, look, we can do this. Why don't we bring all these past winners to Vegas? I just said Vegas. That's all I said. You know, I, I thought it was interesting. Like, a lot of the people seem to be sort of fond of him, but also kind of roll their eyes when he gets brought up in these interviews. Yeah. And then you had the one, I guess he was formerly retired or whatever, guy who's who's working the cameras during their little sting operation. You know, he does make this comment about how it's not supposed to be fun, that you're going to be depriving these people of their liberty. And, you know, that's a, that's a serious thing. And it was hard not to take that as anything other than kind of a swipe at special agent Doug Matthews. You know, it, it, again, it's it, as far as the show goes, he's awesome in real life. I'm sure he's a pain in the ass to the people who are his supervisors. I, I don't know how jacked up I would be if I had some stake, either positively or negatively, in one of his investigations uh, to kind of see his antics well he did really seem to enjoy the whole television camera crew sting aspect (laughs) of his operation kevin what did you think about doug and what did you think about like how it was they decided to go after these perps by making them be subjects of fake tv interviews i love this guy you do i totally love this guy he makes it for me 
he reminds me a lot of cops that I know who are, I mean, they're really just average guys in very serious jobs. I know the cop you're talking about. <laughs> I know the actual cop you're talking about. But just anybody else in any job, you know, there's always, there's usually one guy who is just very lighthearted and makes working fun. You mean you? It's Maybe the it's you. Me. Are you the <laughs> lobbyist at the state house who like makes all the other lobbyists laugh? Is that you? That is me. <laughs> but if you know cops and you talk to them long enough, they all have a case or a story that they're a really proud of. They did some good work on, or the thing that was just nuts. And they will they will act in court a certain way. They will talk to a reporter in a certain way about it. But you, when you're holding a PBR in the backyard, flipping burgers, talking about it's all, dude. You will not believe. And that's the essence that you capture here. It's like Bill Tench in Mindhunter. Yeah. Yeah. But but somebody who can tell a story a lot funnier. Yeah. I don't know why his shirt is three sizes too fucking big. I do. Why? Because he's jacked and he doesn't get the shirts that fit right. So in order to get a shirt that like will fit his Is he huge, jacked? Yeah. In How do you get, know? Because you can tell. He's been sitting behind the desk. His his, his head is shaped like a Lego brick. <laughs> yeah. He is jacked. Wouldn't his neck be bigger His if neck he was is jacked? huge. That's, one of, the, but that's right. one of the reasons why his shirt are so big because part of his body is big but he's not getting his shirts from like Trunk Club or whatever so or I Taylor where you get your shirt so like they don't fit right but to this documentary I'll just say this he is a super important character in the sense that he sets the tone and makes us lighthearted. Yes. It can be lighthearted because it's not a violent crime. It's like Legend of Cocaine Island like yes. that. Yes. If, if, he, if, you, if you talk about his other big case which was a shooting in a bank he's not going to be that guy. But because there's so many twists and turns in this story, and it's a good tale, and he's a rank on tour, he's going to tell it like that, and the other guys are going to like tell it like that as well, and the lightheartedness and the laughs make the dark, serious stuff better. Well, as long as we're talking about characters, yeah, and not the crime, <laughs> yeah, I want to talk about my favorite characters in the story. That would be mobster Jerry Colombo's brother, Frank Colombo, <laughs> and his wife, Laura Bricker's doppelganger. What? Heather oh, Colombo. No. Ma, come get this dog out of here. The Sicilian culture, of course, here. is family first, no matter what. But when I met her, I didn't want her to know my last name because I wanted her to know me and not my family. As a matter of fact, for the first three to four months, I didn't even know his name. He would go by a completely different name and only did I see a bracelet on his wrist one day and I questioned him on the name that said Frank C when this is entirely different from the name that he gave me. Yes, uh, she, I went by Tony, Tony Iannotti. <laughs> I've got such better hair than that, Rebecca. Say, Laura, that if you let your hair grow long, yeah. you could definitely be that girl's sister. Hey, Laura, my question for you is, do you drink your McDonald's coffees with 10 creamers and five sugars. Or five equals. Which should be the crime of the week as far as I'm concerned of this whole thing. I mean, McDonald's it's a coffee. Large. It's got to have a large. Let me so. be real. McDonald's coffee is not bad. It's 99 cents, whatever size you get. I think it's way better than Dunkin' Donuts coffee. 10 creamers? 10? Is that what the 10 creamers? Yes. Or 10 pumps of the... Bricker, oh, God. That's like Did a you latte. notice... <laughs> For a large. Did yeah. you notice that the Colombos had the giantest kitty condo you've ever seen in your entire life in the background <laughs> of their shot whenever they gave these interviews. And 
Yes. She finished all of her husband's sentences just like you do with Fireman Ken. Laura Bricker, yeah. what do you think? Are you not Heather Colombo? I am married to the mob. <laughs> I just, you've outed me. The truth is out now. And Fireman Ken has a golden fry suit somewhere. <laughs> that was super interesting to me, though. Like, the, you know, but she always looks so cranky. She was always just kind of sitting there, like, kind of like cranky face the whole time. Didn't you think? <laughs> she, she looks like he's not telling the story right, and she's just dying for him to stop <laughs> so she can tell it right. Okay, so that would be me. Yeah. <laughs> now, Toby, um, I have a theory that everything is subject to corruption. I've, I mean, that is like sort of my unifying theory of life. Like, I really do think you can potentially corrupt anything. And I have, you know, in 2020, I have come to believe that almost everything might actually be corrupt. But we're talking about a perfectly innocent, basically scratch off, peel off game by a fast food company designed to like you know, gin up business for burgers and fries and shakes. And yet there is this very elaborate plot to steal tickets from way down the production line. Like, what did you think of this like scam itself and the fact that this particular game, which was ubiquitous in my childhood and teenage years and early 20s, was in fact the target of this widespread, deep, ongoing corruption? Uh, totally not surprised. <laughs> <laughs> Why not? Well, I just, you know, you think about how many other things that size would be worth a million dollars. And it's just begging to be stolen, put where I, I mean, it's just the amount of security you'd have to do to really secure something like that, especially when the guy who's kind of running security is uh, might be the guy who's sort of behind the whole thing. I was reading this article about a diamond mine and about the stuff that they do to keep people who work there from stealing diamonds. And I think it's kind of a, a similar thing, although the McDonald's stuff is probably, you know, even easier. You think he sneaked just, it out in his butt? He could sneak it out in anything. <laughs> okay. I mean, he could put it he could put it underneath his tongue if he wanted it's to. It's amazing. Yeah. Put it in his ear. It's not very big. So anyway, I, I just think it's an easily corrupted thing. I hadn't really thought a whole lot about the security aspects of it, but you know, the more you think about what you actually are trying to prevent happening, I mean, it's, it's pretty intense. Like, I, I don't know how it seems like it would be really, really difficult to keep people from sort of intercepting things in that production line. So uh, 100% not surprised, and I don't eat McDonald's, so I didn't spend any time trying to collect those things, but I could see being kind of pissed off if I was. Yeah, I think that um, they do a great job sort of showing the secure printing facility and setting this up for, yeah, it wasn't just like a bunch of people throwing things on there, how really intent the security was about it. Because if I said to you, why don't you design a system where they can print these, you would probably come up with something like that. It made a lot of sense. They've shown you it's very difficult to break the security, and they haven't yet told you how it, that part was done. Right. You spent a lot of time on how the things were, how the different people were brought in. But that's still something that's yet to be answered, and I'm dying to find out. Doesn't because seem- the procedural part yeah. is the thing that sort of drives things like Ocean's Eleven and the Brinks job and all these very uh, famous procedurals in crime history. So we want to know the how. So this is not exactly a victimless crime, right? No. I mean, McDonald's got jacked, let's be real. And other potential winners who would have won prizes legitimately got jacked. Apparently, like... We're all losers. I mean, the documentary basically makes the case that, like, every major prize winner 
was a scam. Like they, they basically say like it's all people on the East Coast. They don't show us any legitimate prize winners who lived anywhere other than these like few states, including New Hampshire, by the New way. New Hampshire, hey. the sweaty In guy. Field. <laughs> hey, what was his last name? Uh, Fisher. He moved. I spent a lot of time looking him up on Facebook and yeah. Wikipedia and obituaries. I did not find him. However, but there is one legitimate victim, I think, and that's portrayed so far in the documentary, which is Gloria Brown. And immediately when I heard how this thing worked, the first thing I thought about was, oh, but the taxes. Like, she's not actually going to get anything. And I finally got the information from him that I was going to be a million-dollar winner. And he needed me to come up with some money. And I'm asking him why. Then he said, everybody that wins has to give some upfront money. And I'm like, how much? And he asked me, how much can I come up with? I said, I really don't have any money. So he said, see, can you get money off the house? Laura, what do you think about Gloria Brown? We hear, see her like in real life, in person today, telling this story, and, and we see how it played out. And she got pulled in because, you know, God bless Robin Colombo wanted to diversify the winners with having more mm-hmm. women and people of color, which on its face, if it weren't a crime, seems like a good idea. It's not a social justice exactly. issue, Rebecca. Yeah. Exactly. It's how do you make a better criminal enterprise. <laughs> she almost framed it like it was social justice, yeah. did she I was not? doing people a favor. <laughs> exactly. Right, because all the Italian mobster guys keep winning. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, so, Laura, no. what do you think about Gloria Brown? Um, I think that she was very sympathetic and her circumstances leading up to that when she went to one of the places and she went to a restaurant and actually got to order off the menu for the first time, whatever she wanted, because she didn't have to think about it and what it was going to cost. It was kind of heartbreaking to then look at how she's getting like screwed over by Uncle Jerry, who's like holding on to the money and not giving her, you know, like parceling it out. And then she's kind of starting to get suspicious when when they're calling them all out to do their, uh, you know, covert taping, where are the winners now? And you can look at her face in that. I mean, she does not look happy to be taped. But I think she's sympathetic because she's kind of feeling uncomfortable the whole time. And I feel like even from the beginning, she feels like she's being taken advantage of. But at the same time, she needs the money. So it was it was kind of like, uh, what's she going to do type situation. Um, but it definitely, I think out of the people that we heard from, I felt the most sympathy for her. I mean, I didn't really feel too bad for um, the who was the daughter that was like sitting on the porch. I was like, yeah, whatever. I, I you know, <laughs> sweaty man from New Hampshire. I did feel bad for him because like that was like they but they were going on and on about him. Do you feel bad but, for Snooky? <laughs> Snooky, you mean the one in red? What the hell with that? Robin Colombo, yeah. red nails, red couch, red lamp, red hair, red everything. That commercial, that almost cost him his life because he wasn't supposed to do a commercial. And what was Jerry thinking with the to be in an actual national TV commercial? Because he's a ham. He was even going to be in a movie. With Jackie Chan, as a matter of fact. I said, what? You don't even sound right. You, a big-ass Sicilian, and a Chinaman, and a Western. I said, oh, my God. And it was that Shanghai noon night, whatever it is. It was that. 
But I think that Gloria was the one that really you could relate to as you were watching and, you know, took it away from this sort of like, I felt the same way. This is like the legend of Cocaine Island with Operation Hamburglar, the music got caught stealing and all that stuff. But then we actually have this real person who was really a victim of Uncle Jerry. So I'm hoping I, I want to see what happens next because, uh, you know, hoping that something good happens to her in the end because I, I felt kind of bad for her. Toby, you know who I loved in this documentary? No. Amy Murray, longtime corporate employee at McDonald's. Amy. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> who has now on her long resume a sting with the FBI busting criminals. Back in 2001, I was in the communications department. I had only been working on Monopoly and games for about six months. My boss's boss called me into his office and he was like, Amy, the FBI has contacted us. They've told us that the game pieces are being stolen uh, and that the entire game uh, may be compromised by a criminal ring. Uh, And if you can imagine, I was completely shocked. Toby, what do you think about Amy Murray and her heroic dual role as corporate shill for McDonald's and crime fighter? Doesn't she at some point say, while I was conducting my investigation or something? <laughs> like, at some point, like, like, she totally, like, has adopted the role 100%. No, she's awesome. She's hilarious. I mean, but can you imagine, like, not only is the FBI... It's like, yeah, we need you to like work on this thing. And then you show up and a special agent, Doug Matthews, is the guy who's like supervising you. He must have been like going on Pee Wee Herman or something. It's just so weird. But anyway, yeah, no, I mean, it's the whole thing is is bonkers. Like, I don't know if there were some boring people who were involved in this. Who they just decided not to interview. Well, there's a guy that refused no, to talk. The FBI agent who refused yeah. to give interviews. He was like, no. Oh, that's right. That's right. I'm not getting involved in this shit. He uh, was the Toby Ball of that FBI <laughs> office. Exactly. But it was like, but it was like, like literally every, everybody they talked to, except for, you know, Gloria is amusing and she's interesting in her own way, but everybody else is like, their personalities are so huge. And um, I guess it's Florida, right? <laughs> Florida man. Uh, Kevin, one detail I love production-wise in this documentary is they have recreations oh, of real people. I was wondering if we we're going to get to that. So yeah. they have like flashback recreations. And we see the real people giving you know, contemporary interviews. And then there's a flashback recreation of the scene where they have actors portraying the people that you now know in the interview. But it's so <laughs> seamless because... They'll show the recreations and the actors are wearing like certain clothes or whatever. Like and a then gold when, suit? Yes. And because it all the stuff was on TV, because the whole like oh, con- yeah. conceit of it was that they were filming, then it goes to the real tape that is the basically, uh, you know, 1990 whatever actual they a, scene. They did a recreation showing a monitor, yes. which is playing the VHS tape. Yes. And then they're reenacting around it because there is a, there is a part where somebody walks behind the person interviewing so you see the actor reenactor get up and walk past the other reenactor but you catch it in the real in the film. real thing the real film and this whole thing with amy murray's outfit that really stuck out to me because i recognized her sh- shoes and her shoes her blouse yeah. and then you see the old film and those were actually what she was wearing they did a really good job with the recreation yeah, what do you think about it? i mean that, that's like love They're, right that's like good craft yes yes so it's if it's not sloppy when they start doing them in slow motion so you really got to bring it it's either going to be stylish or it's got to be something. And they drop little things like, 
all the guys like, oh, there was this great coffee, which seems like a stupid thing to say, probably is, but it's more than just colorful. Then they do the recreation, you see three guys go in the elevator, and one of them is holding a cup of coffee, <laughs> right? So they keep dropping these little things, and the guy who's like, can't figure out the lights, and you figure, you hear, yeah, I was there, I couldn't work the lights. So, you know, I, I just, it just sort of goes to sort of what I find is sort of an overall joy in putting pieces of this together. All right. Well, let's do what we do. Let's let our listeners uh, know, should they check out McMillions? This is a documentary on HBO, a serialized documentary in many episodes about a fraud perpetrated around a game that you could play when you bought Happy Meals. Our Bricker, what about you? Thumbs up or thumbs down for McMillions so far? What do you think? Thumbs up. This is super fun. This is like the McDonald's Monopoly version of The Legend of Cocaine Island with all of the just humor and absurdity of the people and the characters that are involved in it. Our our, uh, FBI agent who decides to get involved after he gets a tip and he says, quote, I'm bored to death with this healthcare garbage. This is going to be more fun than that shit. And I'm like, oh, this is off to a good start. So it's very, it was light. It was entertaining. Um, Ken watched it with me and he goes, this is better than most of the stuff you usually watch. So uh, two thumbs up in my house. Toby Ball, what about you? Thumbs up or thumbs down for McMillions on HBO? Yeah, I give it a thumbs up. You know, it's nice to watch something that's fun. And, you know, it's the pacing. I mean, it moves. Characters are super interesting. Uh, there's enough twists and turns that that keeps it going. So I think uh, I, an enthusiastic thumbs up. Kevin, what about you? Thumbs up or thumbs down for McMillions? Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. <laughs> You're loving I'm it? I'm loving it, yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's one of the few things that I've, I look forward to week after week to get it. Yeah, it, it's a great palate cleanser from a lot of the crime that we do. And it's just a tour de force of different kinds of storytelling styles and, and, and elevating what could have been run off as a typical investigation discovery channel, talking head, recreation, archival tape, run-of-the-mill thing. They really leaned into it. Did a really great job with it. I'm I'm a big thumbs up. I'm a big thumbs up too. I suspect the reason this show was made and the way it was made was because of Doug Matthews and his charisma and that mm-hmm. his personality really drives a lot of the storytelling. It's just super fun and interesting. And one of the reasons I like it so much, it's one of the few things about the mafia that I have seen recently that in no way glamorizes them, just makes them look like big old dumb assholes who are just running needless scams for no reason other than greed. And I like that. I like that it does not like glamorize and portray the mafia in a way that makes you wish you were one of them, which way too many things about the mob do. Yeah, big thumbs up for me for McMillions. I like it even better than I like a shamrock shake. Hmm. <laughs> now, I'm what you might call very good at hide and seek. And since we got Xfinity, we have Wi-Fi all over the house, even in my super-secret hiding spots. So I can kill time in here by streaming my favorite... Ha! Found ya. How? You left to find my tablet on. Get wall-to-wall Wi-Fi on the Xfinity 10G network. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Walmart Plus members save on Meeting Up With Friends. 
Save on having them over for dinner with free delivery with no hidden fees or markups. That's groceries plus napkins plus that vegetable chopper to make things a bit easier. Plus, members save on gas to go meet them in their neck of the woods. Plus, when you're ready for the ultimate sign of friendship, start a show together with your included Paramount Plus subscription. Walmart Plus members save on this plus so much more. Start a 30-day free trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus, a central plan only. Separate registration required. See Walmart Plus terms and conditions. One, two, three, four. Those are numbers, but you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. AutoTrader. It's time for my favorite part of the podcast, a little something I like to call the crime of the, of week. the week. Someone tried to jack up a jack-in-the-box in Yakima, Washington. A guy walked to the register and said, quote, I'm robbing you. The cashier said, quote, you're not robbing shit. The suspect insisted this was a holdup. The cashier responded just the way your mom would if you sassed her, saying, quote, I will beat your ass. The would-be robber turned around and left the burger joint. Cops soon arrested Damien McCordell and charged him with second-degree robbery. He claimed he was not trying to rob the restaurant and complained that the cashier had been rude to him. I will Wop your ass. So, panel, this future employee of the month staved off a robbery, but talking back to the bandit is probably a foolish thing to do. Tell me about a time that you stuck up for yourself when you probably shouldn't have. Laura Bricker, I'm guessing there's more than one of those times for you, so I'm going to start with you. Um, boy, there is. And and in all of them, there's a common theme in recent years, which is Ken is there, and he's like, you're going to get us fucking killed. Stop it. <laughs> so one of them was we were at a bar that we go to a lot up in the northern part of New Hampshire, and this motorcycle gang was there, and the power went out, and I was like, oh my God. It's the motorcycle gang. I want to go talk to them. And he's like, you're going to get us fucking killed. And I was like, no, they just look like nice little old men. Well, then I didn't talk to them because I was like, okay, I don't want, you know. And we went outside and they had this like white box van with no windows with angry barking dogs in the back. And I was like, okay, I'm glad I didn't talk to them. (laughs) So there you go. Toby Ball, tell me about a time that you stuck up for yourself. When you probably should not have. I don't know. I was thinking, I I was so distracted by uh, Robin Columbo walking into uh, the Fuzzy Bunny church to, and uh, saying, you know, I'm going to fuck you and you and you and you. And I was like, oh my God, what are you doing? So I've never done anything quite like that. Kevin, I've got one. Yeah. Remember that time I tried to stand up for myself when you came home? And instead of letting you watch the Red Sox, I was watching the old BBC Pride and Prejudice. (laughs) And I just insisted for hours and days that even though it had commercials and it was not even like new. It was the playoffs, Rebecca. And I had seen it a million times before. It was the right thing for you to do to let me watch Colin Firth walk out of that pond. (laughs) I was probably wrong about that. (laughs) What word did I use? Apoplectic. apoplectic. (laughs) What about you, Kevin? Uh, I think the time I probably shouldn't have stood up for myself was when I was trying to convince my boss that walk the talk isn't an actual phrase. (laughs) I tried to tell him he's wrong. It's walk the walk or talk the talk. (laughs) And no, it's walk your talk. (laughs) And I had to print out things from four different dictionaries (laughs) to show that that is not the phrase. 
and that was not the hill I wanted to die on. Mm, but it came up in your mid-year review. Jesus, <laughs> Jesus, H. It's like all right. You want to look like an ass? Go ahead. <laughs> All right. We should probably end on that note. But before we do, Lara Bricker, do we have a cat of the week this week? We do. So we've had, um, what did we have? We had asshole cats, asshole dogs. Yep. Now we have properly behaved cats. So nice. we have Courtney Mullaney sent in Stevie the Wonder Cat, who sits in the table at dinner time in a chair like any sophisticated cat should do and he never goes on the table and I love it so then other people sent pictures of their cats that are sitting um, we have another nice cat who do we have down here Callie Amanda Black's cat joined them for dinner once looks like Callie's having a sweet potato um, Rocky and Felix join us like every night they climb up and sit in the stools at dinner and hang out with us so um, cats can behave and not be assholes this is proof all right, well, if Laura Bricker, if people want to send their pets to you to prove that animals can, in fact, be on their good behavior or to prove that animals, in fact, are never on good behavior, how can they find you on Twitter? Uh, they can find me at Laura Bricker. And Toby Ball, folks want to reach out to you on Twitter and just say, hey, Toby, what's up? How can they find you? At Toby Ball NH. And Kevin Flynn, if people want to inundate your Twitter feed with pictures of Colin Firth walking out of that pond, how can they find you on Twitter? Well, they should go to the How Many of Me website. <laughs> Type in Kevin Flynn. That's right. Narrow it down to one of the 244 Kevin Flynns. But what is your Twitter handle, Kevin? It's at Kevin P. Flynn. And if you want to follow me on Twitter or Instagram, you can find me at Reb Lavoy. You can also follow the show on Twitter at Crime Writers On. And please join our amazing community in our official Crime Writers On Facebook group. Lots of people have been joining in the last few weeks, it's really warming my heart, and almost nobody picks me as their favorite crime writer, which warms my heart even more. You can support the show on patreon.com slash partners in crime media. You will get the crime writers on after show right now. Plus, Married with Podcast, our advice show, Toby Ball's Deep Dive Book Club podcast, and Laura Bricker's awesome Leave It to Bricker podcast is a brand new episode right there waiting for you now. Our theme song was performed by the New York Scott Jazz Ensemble and used with permission. Our line editor is the very handsome Henry Lavoy. Our social media and newsletter maven is Meredith Plunkett, future mom of the year and current mom of the year. This show was recorded in the yoga loft above the bodega in Bay St. Louis, Mississippi studio, otherwise known as Studio C, the closet in our basement where we keep our grocery store prize machine bubbles full of illegally obtained winning sweepstakes tickets. On behalf of all the crime writers, thanks so much for listening. We will catch you later. Later. Their usernames are cracking me up, especially Laura. <laughs> Bring Toby in first. Hey, Toby. Hey, how you feeling? Uncle Toby. Ah, super shitty. Okay, it's time to bring in Laura, who has my favorite username of any interface user ever on this platform right now. Dances with Bricks. <laughs> That's me. <laughs> I am dancing with Bricks. It took me a second to pick up on that. Laura Bricker is our very own white savior of this podcast. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yep. I'm like you. an old person. I like old lady Chardonnay. I like Kevin Costner. I like Mayor Pete. I am like all in. I mean, what's next? What car should I get? You're our red Subaru. Sub- a Buick. A Buick. <laughs> You're our resident boomer who isn't a boomer. Mm-hmm. Not there that there's go. anything wrong with boomers, just in case this mm-hmm. becomes the outtake. <laughs> Yeah.
partners in crime media. Walmart Plus members save on meeting up with friends. Save on having them over for dinner with free delivery with no hidden fees or markups. That's groceries plus napkins plus that vegetable chopper to make things a bit easier. Plus, members save on gas to go meet them in their neck of the woods. Plus, when you're ready for the ultimate sign of friendship, start a show together with your included Paramount Plus subscription. Walmart Plus members save on this plus so much more. Start a 30-day free trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus, a central plan only. Separate registration required. See Walmart Plus terms and conditions.